0: Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I'm Cody.
1: I'm Alec. I'm Eddie. I'm Tanner.
2: Nice. This is the part where I always get stuck. (laughs) And today today we are talking about a reflection that Cody has for Lent. So this
0: reflection is not an original Cody. Reflection It's more of a... Take of reflections, DJ Schurter. Um <laughs> DJ Sugar. That's it. So <laughs> I guess we thought or I had shared this reflection or this compilation of reflections with some of our other sinners here, and we thought it might be a fruitful meditation for Lent uh, as we enter into a time of dryness or temptation. You know, I heard it Mass today uh, in the homily that it's Lent is meant to be a springtime, right? But with that springtime and with that coming to, to new life there is a bit of pain and there is a bit of i guess coming face to face with our the reality of our sinfulness and and the reality of our, i guess our relation to the lord and how I, really what i'm coming to realize is how weak i really am even with small uh, sacrifices i just they're so hard <laughs> so i guess we just thought this would be a good reflection and really the reflection is what it is meant to be is um, to draw the distinguishing line between guilt and shame. Because I think that there are a lot of times that we assimilate the two. Uh, we attribute them to being the voice of the Lord and we kind of assume that that's where he's coming at us from. Uh, so I I think what we really want to do is just define what his voice is in the midst of our weakness and in the midst of sin. Uh, so that moving forward this Lent we can know how he really feels about us and how he, or at least where he stands with regard to all of this. Uh, So the reflection comes from Genesis. I am just going to read it because I think the scripture can do a much better job um, of explaining itself than I can. No way. (laughs) Hard to believe. I know. So this comes from Genesis three. Now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, did God really say, you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the snake, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it or else you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking about in the garden at the breezy time of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God then called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then God asked, Who told you that you were naked? The Word of the Lord,
2: I just think it's pretty crazy how they up to this point we're living with their eyes closed <laughs> <laughs> and that's
0: and that's really what what the kind of what's at the heart of the reflection is so we're we're all familiar with the story. they eat of the tree, they recognize that they are naked, so they cover themselves up, but I guess the question is what is what is so new about the nakedness to them because it's not as if they ate of the fruit and their clothes fell off right that that doesn't seem to be the case it seems to be more the case that there is something there's a new dynamic that is introduced upon the eating of the fruit upon the sinfulness itself and that dynamic is when they look at each other, they start to recognize in the gaze of the other person that they're not being seen as a whole person, right? They're being seen only for their body. And so they cover themselves. And so in this case, right, they, what they're experiencing is shame, right? The same way that you kind of experience shame if, I mean, honestly, if someone walked in on you like undressing, or if, you know, when you're in the airplane and the door swings open, when you're in the bathroom or someone else is in there and it's like super uncomfortable, right? Because you feel a lot of shame in that moment being seen, uh, kind of exposed and why, why is it a good thing then in this case is because it's a safeguard against, I guess, being taken advantage of. It's a safeguard against lust really, and a safeguard against being degraded or being seen and valued for less than what you actually are. So in, in the person-to-person interaction, the sin is introduced and the shame is actually, in that case, a good thing because it is meant to prevent the other person from sinning or to prevent themselves from being taken advantage of.
2: Yeah, because before the fall, um, you also, we, when we would have seen each other, we would have seen each other completely as a whole that you would never have seen, like, just someone for their body or just someone for their personality or just someone for this or that aspect. You would only see the body and soul unity. And by looking at somebody, you would see all of them. But with sin, we start to compartmentalize that, where I am just attracted to this person's body without thinking of their soul. Or, I mean, I guess theoretically (laughs) attracted to their soul without thinking of their body. But I don't think that that is nearly as frequent. I would probably be safe to say But that was not the way our interactions with one another were supposed to be. Well, it is kind of. I mean, I I was just talking to someone last night
0: about the show Love is Blind, where they're supposed to fall in love with someone in the dark and not have any perception of their body, right? Or any perception of what they look like. And that also seems wrong, right? Because it it isn't the whole person. We don't exist apart from
2: our bodies. Yeah, because... I think like and I, this it sounds a little bit rude too that there there's just some people who you personally may not be attracted to and I think there are plenty of beautiful women who I will admit are beautiful but like personally have never been attracted to them and I think like it would cuz if you know when the lights come on and if all of a sudden you don't want to be with this person because you aren't personally attracted to them they would make it seem like you are not like a good person which I think is a little unfair right because ideally you would be attracted to the whole person and I don't think you should ever sell some like cut somebody short for not you not being attracted to them but I think that there we do have I don't want to say preferences or like you know things that you are attracted to that I guess is an experience that you have and theoretically have is part of you as well if it's not if you don't let it rule over you but yeah does that make sense yeah I think so
0: and and I think what all this strikes at is is something that is a pretty common experience of of you know either. I'm sure that most people have experienced a time where they were either just attracted to someone for uh, a reason that wasn't the wholeness of the of who the person was, or have felt like they have been the object of attraction for something that they didn't feel like was the whole of who they were. So that's where the shame comes in, and and safeguards against that and. You know, if you're only gonna value one piece of me, right, value the deeper piece of me. Right. Don't value me just for the body, value me for who I really am. So it's this it's it comes from a place of of actually recognition, right, that we have worth. So the fact that we have shame means that we have worth. So it that maybe is a reason that it's so heartbreaking to see people living without shame, is because they start to lose sight of the fact that they have a worth that is deeper than than the body which again the shame was put in place so that the that being the lowest part wouldn't be the only thing that was that was valued so where does this come in uh, where does god come into this equation right that what comes next i think for me when i first heard it or at least first heard it put this way was one of the more heartbreaking things i've ever heard from Scripture, it's just it so painful, right, so the man and the woman hear God coming towards them, and they hide themselves, and God calls out to them, "You know, where are you?" And they say, or the man speaking for both of them says, "We heard you coming, and we were naked, so we hid ourselves, right." which now means that this shame, which was supposed to be a safeguard against devaluing, has, or at least the gaze of the other person, which they saw devaluing them, they have now attributed to God, right? The person who made them, and when he finished making them, like the, he finished making the rest of creation and said, it is good. He finished making man and he said, it is very good, right? So, the one person, or the one like the creator, the, their their father, the the one who would actually see the most goodness in them and the most value in them, they now think will see less of them because of this. That's what's so heartbreaking is just it happens today, right? Is is this the shame gets attributed? To, to God, or this this idea that God will see me as something less because of the sinfulness, or because of, in essence, the nakedness, right? He, he's going to look at me and he's going to see something less than what I think that I really am. Uh, when in truth, you know, he looks at you and sees more than what you see, right? And he sees more goodness than what, what you see. And how many people are either blind or oblivious to that because they let the shame be a a barrier between them and and the father so this is this is where the distinction needs to be drawn is should they have felt guilt for the fact that they did something wrong yes they should have because guilt is is exactly that it is it is meant to be a signal for when we do something wrong right we should feel guilty for that because it's it's a it's a drive to repentance what we shouldn't feel right or at least what is not coming from god to feel is shame right is is i can't i'm not worthy of his love i can't put myself before him i can't go to prayer i can't come back to the church i can't you know speak to him because he's going to see me as less of of something then he's going to devalue me because of this so i guess that's my distinct distinction between guilt and shame um i'm curious to know what your guys are
1: so it kind of makes me think of i heard someone once say that they were saying well if you follow like this whole thing of like a syllogism you would say that uh god hates sin and 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 i sin and so therefore, God hates me because of that, you know? So it's kind of like linking those truths of like, for example, um, the devil is ugly, right? That's true. And then you'll hear, and then like that, my 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 uncle is ugly. That's not me saying, you know, my uncle out there, it's not that, my uncle Amen. is ugly. So, there, so because we know this is true and this is true, therefore we know that my uncle is the devil, you know? Like you can say, this is true, this is true, and because of those are both true, then the, the next thing follows. And so I think a lot of times people often lump that with God, too, where God hates sin, I sin, therefore God hates me, you know, because of course he would. Because if we're very clear with the fact that God hates sin, of course, we would look at our own selves. with because of that shame, like we said, and um, because we're imperfect people, we wouldn't just leave it be like that. We would have said instead attribute that to ourselves because of because of that shame, we would go and we would hide in our, our own little area. And I think that coupled with the fact that um, I know someone who um, is not Catholic and read a read the litany of humility and they were just after that, they went, I understand why Catholics feel Catholic guilt and feel guilty all of the time, you know, and they kind of, and you know, they'll lump guilt and shame in there. They, you know, they'll, they'll mean shame, but they say guilt, you know? And so I think when we are focused more on where we're wrong, which is very important for us as Catholics to do, you know, to focus where our shortcomings are and allow Jesus to give grace in that moment. But I think a lot of people will take Jesus out of that grace because they'll take that imperfection, apply it to God, and then just be left with the wrongdoings of, ooh, that was a voice crack. <laughs> the, the wrong, to, I mean, you gotta edit that one. If you can pitch correct that for me, please. I know, look at as less than who you are. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that's kind of what my piece would be if we're on that.
3: I want to jump off of that to your point of God hates sin, I sin, therefore God hates me. That's kind of defining you by your sin. And we don't define ourselves by our sin. And I think that it's making me think of uh, Harry Potter when Dumbledore tells Harry it's the choices we make, right? That, uh, Whatever that really good line is that I don't remember. But talking about, but what I do that defines <laughs> me. <laughs> there you go. That's from Harry Potter, right? <laughs> uh, but I think we often use the wrong choice when we're trying to define ourselves, and I think this is going back to our Peter and Judas episode. The choice that matters is the choice we make after the sin. So yes, we may have freely chosen sin. But what is more important and more defining of us as children of God is the choice to turn to him and ask for forgiveness with humility, not trying to hide what we did wrong and wallow in our shame.
2: Yeah, and just a a quick quick summary for me I think works well with guilt and shame is uh, guilt is when you feel bad for something that you did, which again, as Cody said, is good because it helps us It drives us to repentance if we allow it to. Shame is like feeling bad about who you are and who God created you to be, which is a tactic of the devil, which we're about to go into right now. It's a tactic of the devil to help keep you away from God and keep you down in your sin. So God gives us guilt to push us back to him, whereas the devil uses uses that guilt, turns it into shame to help keep us down and away from him.
1: Yeah, I think like I heard like you saying all that, and hearing about how a lot of that stems from um, a twisted view, and like we don't understand, we truly don't understand who God is if we let all that really sit with us. And the thing that stuck out to me the most when Cody was reading it was uh, when the de- when the serpent says, did God really say? You know, that's the first thing he says is he goes, did God really say this? Because he knows that the first way to get them to kind of feel this shame is to have mess up their, you know, view of the creator. Distort the view of God, and then you distort w- guilt and, into shame. So again, I guess the
0: question that we have to ask now is what does the father say what does God say in response to this or at least a question that you might be asking is how could the sinners here be so bold as to assume that they know what God says in response to this All right well we're not being bold um, <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> it just comes it comes right after so the man says I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself Right, And God says in response, you are so dumb, right? <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. You had, I told you that there was one fruit that you couldn't eat. This is the message translation. <laughs> <And>
3: <laughs> I told you
0: <laughs> there was one fruit that you could not eat and you ate it. I planted you a whole garden, you dummy, right? But no, that's not what the father says. What he says in response is who told you that you were naked? The reflection that I had, um, this second half of the reflection I had heard from, um, I work with, the some summer conferences and retreats over the summer. And one of the other facilitators of that retreat had shared this reflection and it just rocked me. The image that it brings to mind is, you know, when you were a kid, and you come home and you're just feeling super down because someone, I called you a name that day and you know, you're know you having a conversation with your dad, like, oh, how'd it go? How was your day? And you say, oh, you know, like, I'm, I don't know. I just, I'm really stupid, right? Or something happens, right? I'm really stupid. I'm really dumb. I'm really ugly. I'm really fat. And your dad didn't say, oh, you're right. You are the father would would say who told you that he doesn't attribute the same thing to the person he sees the person for who they are and then asks where that lie came from like where did you hear that right and the next thing that god says is did you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil right did you did you sin and so listen to a voice that wasn't mine did you let something else tell you what you were? All right. Who told you that you had to be perfect? Who told you that you were ugly? Who told you that you were stupid? Who told you that you were gross or unlikable? All right. Who told you this? Because that's not how I see you, and that's not what you are. So even in the midst of this shame, even in the midst of this fear, like, oh my gosh, God is going to see me as something other than good because of this. When they allow him to get close and when they speak to him honestly about, or even, not really even honestly, right? Just kind of like trying to dodge him. He still speaks into it. He still speaks into the lie and tries to dispel it. Right? Or at least... At least defend them like he wants he wants to know who told him so he can go demolish that person right like like, like a dad would you mean right forgive that
3: person. no
0: i don't demolish <laughs> with forgiveness I, I don't mean that because he turns to the serpent and he says cursed are you among the rest of the animals you'll crawl on your belly for the rest of the of your days and the spawn of the woman is going to stomp your head right like that's that, that's what he says he like fights for them. He doesn't, he's not pat. Oh, who told you that? I'd really like to go have a kind word with this person. It's who told you that so I can shut them up, right? Who told you that? So I can make them stop telling you that. And I think, I think that's the way that he responds to our shame today. And so I, I think what Alex said is really beautiful. You know, the, the, the more important choice is the one that we make right afterwards. You know, Do I let this sin define me? Do I let shame keep me from God and let fear enter into that relationship? Or do I speak to him honestly about what I think of myself as a result of this and let him tell me otherwise?
3: I wanted to touch on, because you had said, uh, God asked him who told you this lie. And it's not that they weren't naked he didn't lie and say you were naked but the lie which i think is like similar to the shame we experience right shame is that bastardization of guilt where there is something real there like there is something that we may have done wrong but we are viewing it in the wrong way so it's not that they weren't naked it's that they
0: then misunderstood what it meant to be naked I think it's the syllogism that Tanner was talking about. It's not he doesn't look at he wouldn't look at you and say, Oh, you didn't sin, right? He just wouldn't look at you and say, This is this sin is all that defines you, right? He speaks into that that last jump of the syllogism that equivocates us to the sin.
1: Yeah, and I think that makes me think a lot of how a lot of times, people will take some part about them and make that solely who they are, their identity, and identify all about them with that. And the danger is that that happens so much with sin. So where if we'll look at uh, maybe a moment of anger, we'll go, "I'm an angry person because of this moment of anger." Or we'll look at a moment where you you know you fell into lust. You know you are not a lustful person because of a moment of lust. That is not who you are. You don't necess- You cannot link that sin and who you are as the same thing because then you then all who I am I'm not super tall so then that makes me just you know I don't have anything else about me I am just a short person you know so I think that's the big danger is lumping in sin and something along that line with who we are
3: I think this is an accessible concept one way that it comes up alternatively is in the field of psychology there's been a large push this in the last however long to stop calling someone like they are not a schizophrenic they are someone who suffers from schizophrenia you are not a bipolar bipolar person you suffer from bipolar disorder and so separating where we're not defining the person by what is ailing them so even out of the context of the faith i think this is something that we understand
0: um and i don't have an
3: end to that thought
0: yeah you wouldn't call someone with cancer a cancer right (laughs) clearly you would you wouldn't call someone uh, i guess that was that's good enough (laughs) (laughs) but you very rarely define someone by a disease that they have and and that's really what we have here is we we have inherited original sin kind of by our choosing right like by the the choosing of those who passed our nature on to us. And we have all personally sinned. Uh, if you haven't,
1: please Stop tell us. me how. If you haven't, please send us your contact info uh, so we can have you on. We'd love to chat with you. And- no, we can't. They're not a sinner. They
0: can't give their take. If you find one of these people, try and capture it so we can run some tests on that, see if we can't replicate it.
1: I like, though, that you brought this whole thing to light during... Lent, because I think if there's any way that we're going to really separate ourselves from all of that the lies that we've heard, the lies we tell ourselves what better way than to go into that desert during Lent? And I think that's why it's so important now, during this season more than any other, to really delve into relationship with God. Because even if we let, even if I were to look at you and say, How does God? How does God the Father look at me, right? You can tell me however it is, whatever, a bunch of good things, but I'm sorry, your, your, your explanation is not going to be ultimately, even however positive or honest it might be, still not entirely what the Father would say to me. And that's why I love that we we're able to talk about this and be able to go to Mass and adoration and whatever and let, let God kind of speak to us amidst all of that Craziness that we hear and tell ourselves.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I I think kind of the motivation behind this was any you see it in when Jesus enters the desert, right? Temptation is kind of linked to the desert, and so temptation I think is kind of linked to this Lenten season of either the the temptation to break a fast or the temptation to maybe temptation is thrown in your face to do things that you wouldn't normally do or temptation is thrown in your face to you know relapse into some sin that you have had a good handle on for some time because you're trying you're giving up so much else or be, just because that's linked to the experience of the desert and again you're not alone because that's everyone's experience and it was even Jesus's experience right when he came don't fear the temptation and don't I mean we're not we're not Jesus so we're not perfect so probably no I'm not going to say probably by the grace of God all things are possible it's possible that you fall right if you do you are not defined by that and I think I guess that was where the motivation came in was just I personally have experienced more temptation this lent than I usually do either during lent or throughout the rest of the year and I I don't know if that is also your experience or other people's experience, but I guess if it is other people's experience, then it is probably also the case that people have um, succumbed to temptation. And so may be again, because of this, like the season may just assimilate their weakness or the temptation, even, even the temptation, not even like sinning, right. They might even begin to say, I'm a lustful person because I am tempted to lust or I am a, I'm a, angry person because i'm tempted to act in anger just to know that 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 is not what defines you
3: and even if you're not feeling like directly more temptation but you are more susceptible to the same temptations because you're more frustrated because you don't have a comfort you usually have or there's just more time right you used to spend two hours a night playing video games and now you're not so you're sitting there bored there's more opportunity for sin if you are not replacing it with something good So don't feel like, why why am I not getting tempted more? (laughs) Uh, One thing I wanted to say earlier, and this might just end up getting left out, but that guilt, and we've kind of said it, is a good thing in a way in that it allows us to identify things that we should not do or should not have done and this came up the other day because I had a friend who was back in town for spring break and we were supposed to hang out and then ghosted me the day we were gonna hang out. And I, I'm i gonna tell him like, it's fine that you couldn't hang out. You just, you gotta tell me. It's not cool to make plans with someone and then bail on it. And I was talking about this with someone and they were like, oh, well, don't doesn't that, don't you feel kind of mean? Like he's gonna feel bad and I said, probably should feel bad. shouldn't do that thing. And there is a place for guilt as long as it's, hey, I'm not mad at you, but you should not do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Guilt shouldn't be associated with the other person is angry at me, right? Guilt is I did something wrong, so I should feel sorry for it. It it doesn't necessarily mean that the person that the offense was done to is pissed.
2: Yeah. And then that the problem is, is that oftentimes, like we've said, we we don't have full control of our emotions and our soul and everything. So most of the time when people approach somebody with like they've done something wrong, it also is coupled with anger where it doesn't need to be right. Think of the best times that you've ever been you know, reprimanded for something from a coach or a parent or a teacher. It is never coupled with anger. It's always coupled more with a I'm disappointed type approach where it's because this is something that you shouldn't have done and you did it. Like, I'm not angry at you. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not going to yell at you, but I wish you hadn't done that because it makes, you know, every, everything is worse because of it. But so, but people have a tough time. So asso- like separating that. Yeah. Where they they were otherwise would have been able to do that. And then one last reflection for me, cause it, I don't, it's not really super relevant, but I'm, I don't think I'm, we're ever going to do like a full episode on it, but just the thought that I had about guilt and temptation is it's okay to be tempted. Being tempted is not a sin you, right? Sinning is sin. So, but I think a lot of times in my own experience with struggling with sin is that if I felt really tempted in a way, I attribute that to sin itself and start to feel the shame for it. So then I'm way more susceptible to actually doing that sin, right? The most common uh, obvious answer is like something like pornography, right? Where if I feel really tempted for it overnight and I wouldn't have fallen the next morning, many times I would because I'd wake up feeling like so bad because I felt so tempted by it that I was like, I basically just did it anyways. So just to be aware of that, that that's also a tactic of the devil that he will try to sometimes even put the shame onto you even when it doesn't need to be there. So just, yeah, be mindful of that. Hopefully
0: this is good for you to hear. Hopefully you are able to approach the father in a, in a way that maybe you were afraid to before, maybe that you were hiding yourself before. And, If you don't feel that then i would challenge you to try right i would challenge you to step into that and say yeah i do feel ashamed for this so what do you have to say to me what do you see in me as a result of this and just to let him respond to that because i think eddie and i had a spiritual director in college and it was so frustrating most of the time going to him because you would just pour out your heart and the response was pretty much always the same. You talk to God about that? No. <laughs> I don't. I didn't want to talk to him about it. That's why I came to you. Um. So just to let him, like, let that be your response. Let that be your response to sin. Let that be the choice that you make after sin, right? I I preach what I don't perfectly practice, so I'm not I'm not trying to convince you that I have always done it and i'm perfect at doing it i'm just saying i wish that i always did because i have done it before and i have experienced the good
3: don't you feel ashamed for not being perfect in that being a
0: hypocrite <laughs> yeah super shameful did you talk to god about that though <laughs> no talking to us now that's why I, that's why i talked about it on the podcast <laughs> but and that's the
3: sinner's take